You can see my award-winning climate comedy show spoilers at a festival near you, provided you live near or are going to McHuncliffe or Wells Comedy Festivals. More dates added soon near you, conceivably, who knows what might happen. And if you are at Mac, come and see ComCom Redacted live at 4pm on the Saturday. Go to stuartgoldsmith.com and click the very attractive banner image to find out more. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hello there and welcome to the show. I'm Stuart Goldsmith and today I am talking with Neil Delamere, who may be better known to you if you're Irish. He does have a profile over here, but as I discover, it's nothing compared to how well known he is uh, in Ireland, in which he is currently planning uh, an arena tour. Um, and he's going to be at the SSE Arena in Belfast in February 2024 for his show Neil by Mouth. So look out for that. Uh, we are going to talk in some detail about the type of comedy that piques Neil's interest and why he thinks storytelling is the purest and most powerful form of entertainment. We're going to talk about how he uh, contrasts the writing process of a tour show versus an Edinburgh Fringe Hour, uh, including the content, the title and the all-important ending. All of that is coming up with Neil. There are 15 minutes, oh no, 10, 10, I think it's actually 12 minutes of extra content available exclusively to the Insiders Club, including Neil's tricks of the trades for writing topical jokes under pressure, as well as some great tips on how to trust yourself as a comic. And forgive me, there is an annoying bit where he says oh well I'll teach you a secret here and I fade out and do the uh, middle blurb of the um uh, of the episode this is not to annoy you uh, it's simply that that stuff is it's just too technical and too valuable to be shared on the public show so if you're a member of the insiders club you can brush up uh, your abilities to cope with writing topical jokes uh, by uh, downloading those little 12 minute extra bits with Neil Delamere but here is the man himself Let's begin, Neil Delamere, let's begin properly now by meeting and saying hello, because I don't know when we last gigged together. Oh, God, I can't remember when we last gigged together. I think the last time we spoke was when you were on the radio show. You were doing a gig in Dublin, and uh, yeah. you came in to do the radio show. That's Is that the last time I saw you? That's years ago. Probably, yeah. You always have to add on two years for a pandemic as well. Yeah, if you think sure. it happened two years ago, it happened five. Yeah, right. Five, <laughs> so, so where are you at at the moment? How's comedy treating you? Oh, great. I mean, I thought the pandemic was uh, like if you ever think that you're sick of something and uh, an enforced break from it will will pretty will make you figure out if you are at the same position that you thought you were. So um, I'm great. I'm touring away at the moment. Uh, I've just I just did the SSE arena in Belfast, the the ice hockey arena, um, and uh, I'm getting to the end of the, this current tour in about two months, I suppose. I've been out since um kind of october november so it's great i mean i still okay. love it that's the thing Stuart. i still love it 
I've been watching a bunch of your clips on YouTube that go back to like some something in the reign of kind of 12 years ago. There's a bunch of stuff where like I think I guess you were doing a lot in the UK. There's kind of the roadshow clip is there. There's oh, one yeah. of those big shows that you do at, at the Edinburgh Festival where some of pe- some people kind of get raptured up into doing TV shows in a way that I've never fully understood from the, <laughs> from the kind of the ground floor of it. And something that struck me with that in mind and with your current thing in mind like I know you as a as a circuit comic like we've gigged together on the circuit and I think I think when I came over and did your radio show in Dublin I probably kind of had a sense of like oh I think I think Neil's quite successful do you know what I mean in, in that way that like you know if you meet someone like if you're in New Zealand and you meet someone in New Zealand you have a chat with them and you suddenly realize oh they're the most famous comic here and I just hadn't noticed yeah Are you, like and you'd play in arenas and stuff like this as I researched you I kind of went oh I think Neil's doing considerably better than I'd realized <laughs> which sounds like a kind of backhanded compliment to suggest that you know in terms of like your profile over here isn't maybe as big as it is in Ireland is, is that fair to say uh I you know how I tell you how I take that I think that it's is testament to my mother and father for raising me really well that I don't introduce myself with a golden boss card that says, <laughs> this is how well I'm doing, Stuart. You must know this. Um, no, I mean, I, I never lived in the UK and uh, I, I never I never moved or anything like that. So, I mean, I think that's fair enough to say I would, I would play a bigger tour here than I would there. Absolutely. So, I mean, you're well within your rights to not be able to keep tabs on every every single person's profile in every oh, single other country. I mean, I know it's a relief. Can you tell me that? Can you cross stitch that? And I'll put it on my wall yeah, because I, I mean, do feel like that's what I've made that my responsibility and no one thinks so apart from me and it's killing me. Yes. Every, yeah. Everybody thinks. Have you heard that Goldsmith didn't know exactly how many tickets I could sell in Mayo? I mean, it's a bit weird, isn't it? No, I mean, I did. I, I've consistently, I've always done the Edinburgh Fringe Festival. I think I've kind of done nine or ten of those, you know, and, but I've, I've used it to, uh, to, well, to, I found during COVID, hate to go back to COVID, but I found during yeah. COVID I needed um, deadlines and deadlines were all gone. I don't know if you felt the same, but everything was gone and you suddenly realise, oh my God, okay, this is what I need. So so I always used to use the Edinburgh Fringe Festival in August. You used to have to have a show ready for then and then you could tour it out and around. So we, we never lived in the UK, so I suppose all my work was here and all my TV work was here and all my radio work was here. So... I think you're fairly accurate in your assessment there. I've started to do little little bits and pieces more in the last few years in the UK because, well, because now suddenly remote is fine. You know, this thing that I used to fly over and do fighting talk a lot. I've done fighting talk for a a good few years. It's on Five Live, if people know it. And, you know, you used to get up on on the day and fly over, and now you can do it from your bedroom. So things have changed a little bit. But um, uh, what, what appeals to me about... I, I have a very good quality of life where I am. Uh, I can drive. I, I'm back from nearly every single gig, and that's kind of important to me. And um, you know, you know when you do, the, if you do say in Melbourne or you, you do the Kilkenny Festival or or Montreal, and you, you chat to the, you chat particularly the American or the or the Australian acts, and you realise when they say they're on tour, they're on tour. They're, yeah. you know, they're, like that's three nights away, four nights away, two weeks away. And I never really, I just thought, no, I, I, that's, no. I, I didn't join the circus. I want to be a comedian. So, you know, there's a level of touring that you can do in Ireland and in England, actually, that, you know, you're back most nights and you have a real life. 
Yeah. Yeah. That I think, I mean, and obviously that's, I don't know, I guess you're in your forties, are you? Neil? Yeah. I'm in, I'm mid forties and those things become so much more important compared to who I was when I was 25 or 30 thinking, Oh, all you need to do is burn more brightly than everyone else. Yeah. You just need to commit to it harder and just ditch the rest of your life harder than anyone else. And then, Hey, presto. And then surprise, surprise, you get a bit older and you're like, there is more to life than yes. motorway service stations. All right, you go, I haven't spoken to my friends in, yeah. I, I've missed all of their birthdays and all of my random godchildren that i'm godfather to i'm godfather to three children and you go i've missed x y and z because i was doing comedy so you get to a certain point and you go mm, mm, you know you, you rebalance things a friend of mine john Caleri, used to say this brilliant thing about when he started doing comedy and it was like i used to think if i do this 10 minutes here then i'll get 15 minutes there and then if i do those 15 minutes i might may, I might be able to close that club there and then if I close that club and now he thinks if I go on first I can be in the car for Friday night 80s on today <laughs> FM by nine o'clock <laughs> and you think yeah, yeah. It, it's it, it is odd that kind of that journeyman kind of attitude towards comedy because I think when we're starting out we go I'm not going to be like that we might see people like that having chats about a roads in the green room mm. and we think uh, oh that's you know that's not for me and then inescapably there is an element of comfort that you want from your life because you can't go. Some people do. I guess there are some people out there who just go hard every night for the love of the thing itself. Yeah. And I think of the, you know, not to name names, but I think there are people out there who we both know who are kind of, they're so in love with the thing itself, the moment itself Mm. of the connection with an audience or whatever it is, the new joke they've just been working on or what have you, that they will go to the ends of the earth for next to no money. And you see people who you go, oh, I guess they've had their time in the sun and they're not put out to pasture. They're doing it on their own terms, but they're still float. They're people who maybe I used to watch on TV as a teenager and they didn't explode. They kind of hit a line, plateaued and then kind of tailed off. Yeah. And you sort of go, I wonder if I'll be, I wonder if I love it so much. Or, or are so financially compelled, perhaps, in some cases, that I will <laughs> flog myself through the sorts of gigs that a young me would have been the open mic at. Yeah, I think uh, it, it, it all comes down to, I think a lot of that comes down to how much you write. Because the the, the other side of that is, you see lads, uh, and you always saw them, you saw them and you hoped you never became one, that do 20 minutes and they're dead behind the eyes because they, they don't write new stuff. You know, so so you can go to a gig and you can be at any level of this and you can have checked out. So it doesn't matter whether you're doing arenas or a massive tour or you're doing the same 20 minutes in the middle spot of, of a of jungle or somewhere. I mean, you can still have checked out. That's a really funny expression. I, I feel I get a sense that I'm going to use that from, <laughs> from now on because I do. Do you know what I mean it's a little kinder than dead behind the eyes, but to clock someone and go, they've checked out or they've checked yeah. out of this gig there i'm sure there've been gigs i've done where i hadn't realized it but looking oh back I'd, I'd checked out of that room um that's that's really interesting so in terms of writing then we um you said it's about whether you keep writing and something i was really impressed by is the the what is it let me just try and drill into it try and try and be really specific your stand up that i've seen 12 years ago when i've seen when i've worked with you live when i've seen some of your recent stuff from your the more recent stuff that's on youtube it's so dense. 
It's so full. Do you know what I mean? It's full of character. It's full of expression. And you're one of those. And I, I've, I've said this on the podcast very recently, probably more than once. I must, I must come up with another analogy. But you're like a juggle combo person. You know, in Mortal Kombat, you get someone up against the wall, you punch them. And as long as you keep punching, they don't fall down. Do you know what I mean? You just get all these free hits. I, I think of you like that with your stand up. It's just like there's that and a daft idea and an act out and a little joke and a pun on the way and another act out and a thing. And then back to the story. Do you know what I mean? It's really full. And it seems like from having seen all these kind of little clips from, you know, over the last however long, that it seems like you you established that rate and then fucking maintained it in a way that I think is very impressive. Wow. I mean, God, it's almost like you've done a million of these podcasts and know exactly what you're talking about. I never <laughs> I, I never thought of it like that before, but that's exactly what I tried to do. I don't know who I saw a million years ago, but I, I, I saw somebody talking about stand-up and talking about... The difference between a great comic and a good comic was about kind of that momentum, I suppose, and just getting someone and just wave after wave after wave after wave after wave. And um, I kind of thought, oh, I like that. I really want I want to I want to do that sort of stuff. I, I did Montreal. I used to Ed Byrne did a show called Ed Burns Just for Laughs from Montreal. And then he moved on to do a gala. And then uh, I was asked to do his show. So basically you would just present from Montreal and you would interview comics and then you would go and it was for RTE TV and you would uh, go and see their sets and what I noticed about the American guys and the North American guys broadly speaking there is you could see them on the two or three nights in a row and the intonations were the same where they took a breath was the same everything was the same and it was so perfectly timed and you know you know you've been to Montreal those five minute slots at the gala are what Mm -hmm. it's all about and I just thought that's amazing and that's a a puncturing of ten- tension sometimes that creates this huge laugh, which somebody like Andrew Maxwell is brilliant at, or Reg D. Hunter is brilliant at. But I thought I, what I want to do is I want to do, there's room for that, but what I'd like to do for the majority of the show is just hit them and keep hitting them until they can no longer breathe properly, because that's what they'll remember. Jason Byrne, if you see Jason Byrne get someone, now usually it's an improv stream, but my God, he's had me in a, in a situation where I can't physically breathe you know diaphragm and intercostal muscles are no longer talking to each other in the way they should (laughs) and you're just trying to suck down air and that's that's the pinnacle of of what i think it should be for 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 most of the show for sure so the question is why why does that particular time particularly um particularly interest you you, Uh, which is not to disagree with that at all it's a broad church as we know mm, mm. there are people i i like um i think i came into it my heroes were all the people like your simon munnery who go here is the perfect joke that makes your brain feel like it's melting because you've never seen something in that way before two or three or four concepts just ka-chunk and like oh christ so it's like a little nuclear reactor i love that that's my kind of predilection I, I know exactly what you mean. That the punch drunk kind of audience member, Jason Byrne, or someone like Russell Howard is another, or Russell Kane. Yeah. You know, it's like it's an onslaught. It's like a machine gun. Yeah. So, um, but what what do you think it satisfies in you and in what you want out of your relationship with a particular room that's maybe, drawn you to that kind of thing? Maybe I don't want them to uh, stop to investigate anything too closely. Maybe, that, <laughs> maybe that's what it that's is. That's very. Do you know? I mean, that's, I don't know. That's very, that's what it that's is. very candid. You, your stuff is. The stuff that I've seen isn't necessarily deep 
long lasting this changes the way i think about the world stuff no i've no interest in that to be, to be well this is so let's well get into that then so maybe maybe the the desire to avoid scrutiny perhaps in inverted no, commas i, I am joking on, on that i mean it's like <laughs> when you were chatting up a girl when you were 15 like the equivalent i suppose is just give her 47 compliments so she doesn't <laughs> think of any particular one no i've always found it the most satisfying to watch um i think when i was watching stand-up i mean we're all influenced by the people at the start aren't we i suppose so the people i saw like my first ever comedy geek was in that i was in the audience of was on the sitting on the floor of dublin city university and deirdre kane was the support act and dara O'Brien was the main act now like dara in terms of telling a story and in terms of how physical physical a comic he is and in terms of hit rate and ideas i think is similar to those those that that style that we've mentioned mm-hmm. i suppose uh, just in terms of maybe it's a a culture uh, idea culture somebody from rural ireland that we like value for money i think maybe it's a it's as simple as like that's the most laughs in an hour isn't it i mean i love i love watching i love i mean i love comedy and i love watching different people do different things and that's the broad church that you spoke about i mean jimmy carr's one-liners are completely different to ross noble's improvisation mm-hmm. but i suppose i think the i think the I don't think I'd like to watch an hour and a half of, of one-liners or, or, you know, because I just think it's it's not as satisfying rhythmically or something, you know? Yeah. Um, and is there... Talk to me about rhythm then. Do you What kind of decisions are you making when you structure a show, you know, an hour, a longer tour show, or a 20 or a gala set or whatever? Well, what to ha- what extent does rhythm kind of come into it? Because there is, like, you know, we said punch drunk and this analogy that i imposed of the kind of the fighter yeah the multiple punches that combative thing and it's not I, I don't think you have a combative style at all but it is it's like you're tickling them that's that's yeah. a more that's a happier way of talking about <laughs> you're tickling them and they're going oh stop stop and you're like i'm not gonna stop i'm not gonna, I'm not stop. gonna stop yeah i love so, the, so I, do, you know what i love watching i love watching someone who takes one idea and just wrings it dry i watched um Andy Field the other day talking about oh, you know, he's great, yeah. he did this thing about I'm not going to give it away because I won't do it justice but the the line it's, it's it's essentially about your mother sucks cocks in hell the line from the exorcist mm-hmm. and he deconstructs it and he mm-hmm. just keeps hammering the logic of this and I absolutely love that I always thought your best ever Edinburgh show you know when you have a set list on a speaker or whatever, I always thought by the time you got to it being brilliant, it would only say about six things because mm-hmm. each thing would be seven or eight minutes mm-hmm. rather than line after, you know, you know, when you start your your tour shows, you might have 20 lines because each, each bit hasn't expanded enough. Um, I also think it's the thing that people remember. I think people might remember one great joke, but a lot of the time people will remember a routine. So maybe we're getting to that. Maybe it's that it's the routines that, that people that you love and, and people love rather than one or two individual jokes. You know what I mean? And there's also, yeah, I, I don't disagree. I think there's also um, there's also one of the things you remember. What's that? There's like there's some sort of um, uh, uh What's the phrase? It's the sort of thing an advertising agency would have printed on their wall. It's something like people will always remember how you made them feel. They might not remember what you said, mm. but they'll remember what how you made them feel. Mm. And 
I think one of the one of the things like I'll remember a particular joke or a particular routine, but I'll also remember just kind of the vibe I have about someone, the experience I had in that hour where I won't necessarily be able to name a joke. And I'll just be like, oh, God, you just oh, you've just got to be in the thing because it's so mad or, you know, because you're so you you know, you can't you like you said, you can't breathe. Like I saw I saw you in Edinburgh, I'd say five, five or six years ago. And I just remember that I saw you. And what I can remember about that was the bee thing. So you did an impression of a bee, and I think he had a Spanish <laughs> or a sort of a Latin accent, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I totally forgotten that bit. Yeah, yeah, but how long is that bit? Like that's Ooh. a that's a bit that's a considerable time. So I think that's probably what people remember as well. You know, if I, I I did a gig. Uh, on Saturday and a woman requ- uh, requested a bit I don't people don't normally get requests but at the end she put up her hand and said will you do X, Y and Z bit and I oh, I must nice. I think I must have just put it up online it was the thing about Viking babies or something yes, but it's, yes, a, yes. it's a ba- bang 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 here's mm-hmm. a concept and hit it over and over and over and over and over and over and over again um, and there's a certain joy in that apart from the rhythm of it but there's a certain joy in that where they go fuck he must have stopped like they're in it and they're like surely it's over <laughs> surely it's over and you keep going and they're like oh my god it's not over yet you know so how do you how do you find all of those moments because that that's absolutely i think of the person i think for tags is always matt kirshen oh you great just, you'll just go a tag and a tag and a tag and a tag and a tag which is like and, and often the, the best tags i think aren't simply the the um you know, another rephrasing of the idea so much as a fresh perspective yeah. or a, how would a fresh character react? And then, you know, you can just build entire things that, that yeah. are, you know, I mean, I've, I, I don't know. Has anyone done that? Has anyone done like a show that's tags? Do you mean you get one yeah. premise at the beginning yeah. and everything else could be defined as a tag? That would be fascinating. But so, so how are you in your in your writing? To what extent are you tagging stuff because you're just gigging frequently enough that you're completely inhabiting the material you know it backwards and so you can just another idea can spill out of you naturally every time and then a hundred gigs later it turns out that bit's got six tags on the end of it yeah that that's exactly it really um in terms of kind of structuring shows that you, you asked about um i i think listen when you do a tour show you don't need structure um and in, in terms of in term if you narrative do, yeah you, you certainly don't need yeah. narrative but you but you so the structure you need is you need to put your best stuff at the end because that's the bit they'll remember and then you need to put you know your you know this is if you've a b and c material what's that phrase oh we put the b stuff at the start and then the a stuff in the middle and the c stuff at the end or whatever all that stuff i i, I do think you put your your one of your best things at the end so they remember that and then you put something good at the beginning so you they get to trust you and all the rest but in terms of if you were going to see a show uh, and to a, com- a comedian you like on tour around the UK, around Ireland, and it's not um, it's not advertised as anything. All you need to do is make them laugh for as, mu- for as long as you can for 75 minutes or 80 minutes. Like, it does, I, I genuinely don't think it's it's comparable to an Edinburgh Fringe show where you're trying to create some sort of, um, maybe a wider point or maybe a story that you really want to tell, you know? Like, I noticed years ago, I did this show, and the premise of the show was I had lived away in Dublin as long as I'd lived at home in the Midlands and I was thinking I wonder what I was like when I was 15 or 16 and I had a school's video um, quiz 
right? So uh, I was on TV as like in school's quiz when I was 15 or 16, and I got the video, and uh, I met up with all the lads on both teams, and we reconstructed it 15 years later with the same host. We green screened it and all this sort of stuff, right? Beautiful. And when I did Vicar Street in Dublin, and I, I, I started to explain what the show was about, I realised that none of the audience knew that that's what the show was going to be about. Maybe maybe 4 or 5%. And all the interviews I'd done and all the press I'd done to talk about it, they didn't know that. So I, re- I realised that I think people go and see... For theatre, people go and see what? And for comedy, people go and see who? So they will go and see the importance of being earnest because it's what it is it's oscar wilde in the middle of uh, nottingham playhouse or whatever but they'll go and see stuart goldsmith do whatever stuart goldsmith does there it's it's rare that they look at what your show blurb is when you're on mm. tour outside of edinburgh and go because of that that's a really good point that's a really good point and also a heartbreaking realization about pr (laughs) and how many people end up (laughs) how many people actually end up buying a ticket because they heard it? oh yeah and i and i knew exactly because i used to play in the theme tune to the old quiz and you'd see 95 percent of people going oh this is what this is but they had no idea that that's what the show was about Mm. no idea do you just on the subject of the the what and you, you've done themed shows in the past? Yeah. Right? Did you do a show that was themed around Meals on Wheels? Yeah, my was dad. Like t- yeah, that was. You know, people go, "What? You know, how do you write your show? You know, you, you name the Edinburgh Fringe Festival show, and I always name it. A lot of the time, I'll name it something silly around my name because it's not it doesn't exist yet. It's like me saying to you, "You have to pick a, a name for your child while you're, you know." your child in in the first trimester you don't know if it's sure. a boy or a girl you don't know anything about the child but this is the name you're going to have to call the child and that's it no matter no matter what happens if it's Derek and that's it uh so I used to call it like Fresh Prince of Delamere was my favorite one I think uh, yeah no, that, that, that was a good title and Creme de la Mer Creme de la Mer was... <laughs> like, that really rolls off its own <laughs> it does yeah um but the, the one where I thought oh this I'm going, this is a full show. It's me and my dad. And my dad's now 87. And he was delivering Meals and Wheels until he was well into his 70s. And he went, oh, this is the last one. I'm not going to do it anymore. I'm getting a bit, a bit, it's a bit too much for me, you know. And I went, oh, this is, I mean, usually you look back on these moments and they are, they are defining moments afterwards. But some, like sometimes you realize you're, you're, this is it now, you know. So we did this little journey around my hometown and I went, this is definitely an Edinburgh show, you know. So I called that Butch Cassidy and the Sundance Pensioner, I think that one was called. Okay. And I brought him to the shows and uh, he he was, he was loved it. He absolutely loved it. I brought him to and how, the show. Uh, go, sorry, go on. No, I brought him to Vicar Street and there was a bit... Um, so I used to have a joke about this and it was, the joke was something like, um, like, see, he smokes a pipe, right, even though it burns holes in his clothes like right and i remember chatting to him and the, the joke was something like you'd be chatting to him and then you turn around and suddenly this like it's an 80 year old in fishnet tights and something like that image and i said to him it'd be really funny if we put you in fishnet tights would you do it and he was like yeah so um <laughs> so there's a picture of my dad in fishnet in fishnet tights and i used to show it at the end and the reaction it got was off it was it was disheartening because it was better than any joke that I had written <laughs> the whole thing. And then I brought him yeah. to the show, uh, the show in, in Vic Street, and he got a standing ovation. And he's a bit of an old ham, you know. He loved the attention of that. And, <laughs> yeah, it was just a sweet moment, you know. When you were on that, when you were thinking, oh, this is the moment, this is going to be a show. Mm. What's the process from that point? Do you start thinking, right, I've got to remember, I've got to participate in this and be honest about it, and I've got to remember it. 
and presumably record like your notes or take notes about it or something you know that just talk to me a little bit about that kind of because that's that's such a kind of um uh what's the phrase like a uh a hothouse or something it's like here's the thing oh this i better pay attention right now this is a thing and the, and the show's going to be based on it yeah so just as an example of your process within that how much would you need to how many notes would you need to come out of that experience with that you'd think oh that might be a bit and i could talk about this and I maybe you could talk about that perspective. How much stuff do you need before you then go away and create the show? I think that one is quite um, is uh, there's difficulties to those things, and there's and there's um, there's things that help you write a show, I suppose. So what you have is you have your structure, um, but the structure is sometimes a prison, isn't it? Like you know, you I do like the idea of a journey, so you are going around, and there are literal points and all the rest. But but then you're certainly hamstrung by because the audience knows what what's going to happen on the day, and um, you you can't like you like if you're strictly telling the truth then if nothing hilarious happens at the end what do you what do you do do you know so there's uh, even even in true shows i said in inverted commas you have to figure out how much truth to tell really um and is it acceptable as long as it's emotionally true to not be absolutely massively and then he said this and then he said that that to be true so that's that's a decision that you do kind of have to make i think um I mean, I I took notes on the day. That's the first time I've ever, ever actually been in a situation and I thought this is definitely going to... So a lot of older people got cold meals on wheels that day because I was sitting in the car with a phone. (laughs) (laughs) Say something funny, Dad. Say something funny. Um, And... I suppose that's that's the only one. I like it that that can be difficult because I I did that with the the other show as well. I did that with the show that I mentioned about the Blackboard. It's called it was called Blackboard Jungle, the quiz show. You 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 can sometimes set yourself up and then you are inhibited by the framework. If you know what I mean. I'm sure you've had was, the same. Was that the case with that one? Um. N- n- no. Yes and no. It's the end of that show. It was. My dad was. We were. We were trying to get home very quickly because he had put a bet on a horse. So we were tearing through wheels and wheels like we were <laughs> flinging them from the car, like flinging them. It was like, it was like so like lad throwing rice from the back of a UN truck. That's what it was like. And um, and I was kind of thinking, you know, what had happened. I won't give away what happened in the end, but like you are going, well, the horse wins or the horse doesn't win. You know what I mean? So yeah. And and so sometimes you you get stuck in that and you're looking at the show structure from above and you go okay well then i mean the horse wins the horse doesn't win and then you walk you go for a walk with your dog and you come back and you go well why does the show have to end there the show could end two days later the show could end five years later or the show could end you know sometimes when you you know when you watch films and say the whole film is a prison break and and the person gets out of the prison and you go yay that's the point it should end i hate when it ends and then they go and Stuart was then hit by a car on the A5 on the way home. <laughs> <laughs> so it's all about where you end something, isn't it? Um, yes. You know, you, you like to think he got out of the prison. And then I only want to see that line at the end of the film if it says, and he lived happily ever after. I don't yes. want to see, you know, and then he died of a heart attack two two days later anyway. Like, that's pointless. So sometimes I find, okay, I find when I'm writing a show, or even if I'm writing something for a kind of topical a panel show, Use two two lenses, either zoom in or zoom out. So, say so, so, say that you think, okay, 
my father's running home and um, we're both running home and he I, I want him to remember this day and not only for it's the last day he delivers the mills and wheels but maybe if he puts a load of money on this horse and he wins well, it's a great day and then you're kind of hamstrung with well okay well I know what happened does the horse win does the horse not win mm, okay so you either zoom in on that and go what give me all the 10 things that could happen a jockey could fall off it could be the wrong jockey and you zoom in in granular detail or you come out of it altogether and zoom out and you maybe talk about what the horse race means or maybe talk about that horse race versus other horse races or whatever you know so i it's the same thing when we do topical shows so when we do a topical show um and you have to write about so we used to do one with dara breen in ireland seven or eight years uh, called the panel me and maxwell and colin murphy and ed Byrne and, and various others and we used to have to do the budget every year right because we were on air and the budget is either you zoom in and find out the weirdest most technical thing that will only affect two or three people or you and if you can't get anything out of that you you zoom back out and you go broadly speaking what's it going to do houses are more expensive okay well if houses are more expensive let's exaggerate that to a point of well that's that will mean x y and z and will we all be living in tree houses and what are we going to be using for temporary accommodation and you know i saw a jockey living in a monopoly house and you know what i mean so you yeah. do yeah, you yeah. use both approaches change the lens if you're stuck that's great advice that's great advice do you find it easy now having written comedy for so long topics topical shows panel shows your own shows are you now at a stage where, like, do you ever find yourself looking at a blank piece of paper, scratching your head? Yeah, ah, yeah. Start of every, start of every tour, and my wife, I always walk around the house going, I just can't, I just can't finish this bit. And she goes, she goes, I'm recording you this year. She said it to me, I'm going to record you because you say the same things at the same time every single year. Um, uh, there's a few tricks of the trade for for topical shows. So. Here's one that you will know, but maybe people don't know. I'm so sorry. I know. I know. How annoying is that? Um, but uh, nonetheless, if you would like to hear those uh, little uh, tricks and tidbits for writing topical jokes, and they are worth taking away from you, the casual listener. I'm so sorry. Uh, if you do have ex uh, access to the extras feed, um, then you will be able to find those out. We'll be back with more from Neil in just a second. Uh, but if you would like to join the Insiders Club for ad-free episodes, extra content from every show that has it, uh, and all the rest of that stuff, as well as access to the Slack workspace, which I am trying to be a little bit more active in these days. And there's certainly people in there have recently started their own uh, writing feedback channel. So if you're an insider, you can get along there and enjoy that. Uh, if you have lost access to that, if you're previously an insider or you have been for a while, just get in touch and I will uh, re re-give that's a word uh, re-give you access uh, to the insiders club slack channel but how can you become a member i hear you asking you simply join up for a minimum two pound a month donation at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders you can donate as much as you like per month everyone gets the same stuff and uh, you can do that there now in terms of uh, neil's work you can find him on tiktok and twitter at neil delamere and on instagram at neil delamere comedy and you can find me at ComComPod on Twitter and at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy. You see Neil and I, similarly imaginative men, uh, on uh, TikTok and Instagram. And you can go to stuartgoldsmith.com to find out more about the Edinburgh show, the Edinburgh previews that I'm doing of Spoilers, my climate comedy show, in which I definitely, and I can say this definitely now because I have done so recently, make the climate crisis and the ensuing anxiety 
uh, funny. So come along and see some of that. See a preview. All of those links at stuartgoldsmith.com. Just click where it says comedy and it'll give you a, a rundown of where all of the previews are or a button that will do. It's all carefully nested. I'm just obsessed with Linktree. It's so clever. Um, all the stuff you need to know about the podcast is currently at comedianscomedian.com and go to neildelamere.com to find out more about Neil by Mouth and this uh, this big arena show that Neil's doing in Belfast. So with all of that in mind, let's get back to Neil Delamere. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Even when we're on a budget, we still deserve nice things. Quince is a place to scoop up stunning high-end goods for 50 to 80% less than similar brands. They have buttery soft cashmere sweater starting at $50, luxurious Italian leather bags, and so much more. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns. You alluded to it there about the kind of the, com- not, the not the conversational, the storytelling nature of maybe irish comedy do mm. you know what i mean without wanting to paint too broad a brush stroke, yeah yeah there is like there is a kind of there is uh a either yeah a, yeah a trope let's call it a trope it, you know depending on how uh, irish tourist board you are it's either a lyrical thing passed down <laughs> through generations or it's just a sort of an observation that yeah you guys like to chat yeah, <laughs> yeah do you know yeah, what i mean like yeah. huh. so, and, and i think particularly with some of your storytelling stuff if i think of some of the clips i've seen online um, that are less like, you know, the Viking. OK, what if kids had hangovers? What yeah. if babies had hangovers? Bang. And as you say, great. The planets have aligned. Yeah. Punchline, 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 punchline. Lovely bit to, to write, I'm sure. Lovely bit to perform. Lovely bit to hear. But the stuff that is more you tell a story about um, uh, someone's towing your car. Oh, I don't yeah. remember the details. I listened to oh, it a week yeah. ago. And, and you know, you realise that you'd left the handbrake on. And then there's other there's characters in the story. And there are places there are characters with accents very specific to places in Ireland I've never been, but I can kind of retrofit what the stereotype of that character must be like from the description. Yep. It is, again, like I said at the very beginning, it's it's so full. It is so full of jokes and plot. And so it's storytelling, but it's completely inhabited. Just talk to me a little bit about that. I don't know quite what the question is, but um, when you're writing something like that or when you're creating or performing I remember, something like that. I remember that. the day I got stuck on a beach and I blocked access to the entire <laughs> beach in Dublin. And it was the first sunny day and it was like, it serves half a million people on the north side of Dublin. And I have never been more embarrassed in my life. I considered leaving the car. I really as, we, as we go, Neil, I'm going to fact check this for those elements of truth and whether it's the truth of the situation. Was it literally, <laughs> was it literally the first sunny day? Pretty or much. You just remember yeah, it? Yeah. Pretty much. Pretty okay, much. right. Okay. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, mean, I, didn't, I didn't ring the Met office immediately afterwards going, listen, I need to get to the emotional truth of this story. No, 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 for sure. But no, no, no. I really but I did. I'm just, I came in, home. In a, in a fun kind of a way, I'm interested to know those. I don't, I don't have a position on it. There's no moral question for me. It's just yeah. like how much of this is, it's like an artistic license on. Yeah. Like which bits have we, which bits have we artificially, epi- um, well, yeah. artificially 
in- increased the jeopardy on Here, because already here's... that's one of those Irish things that the, the kind of the tall tales thing where you go oh this was you know it was so every time in the retelling it becomes it was the first sunny day we'd had for 10 years well, <laughs> here, here's the worrying thing maybe i don't know anymore imagine imagine <laughs> if you well, don't know if you just think maybe it wasn't sunny maybe my comedy brain just went this is more jeopardy if well that would be worrying for you but it would manna from heaven for this podcast <laughs> well, maybe, i don't know maybe it wasn't a beach at all maybe um, <laughs> I, I i what i remember about the day is i did genuinely get stuck i was absolutely mortified everybody Everybody in that, uh, in the characters in the story, all happened. What I remember mainly about is getting home, and my wife looked at me and she went, "What happened? Uh, you look both upset and delighted." <laughs> and so I, I said, "What do you mean?" She goes, and she knows me so well. She goes, "Something bad happened, but you're going to get ten minutes out of it, aren't you?" And I went, "Yes," and I told her the story, and she now knows. Like I kind of feel sorry for mere mortals because when something happens and it's terrible, they just have something that's terrible, whereas we have something that's terrible and ten minutes of material. But yeah. when you're writing something like that, I suppose. Again, you're you're. There, there, rarely enough do you get handed. This is a story. Go home and write this story. So a lot of the time, you're, you're you know you're in a green room where you're chatting to your friends and you tell them something that happened and then they go, oh that that should that should be a bit. I I suppose I've always liked stories because, I mean they're the purest form of entertainment really, aren't they? I mean, they are long before we were doing kind of puns <laughs> around the campfire we were telling each other stories and i also think they're extremely powerful in a show because particularly in a kind of an edinburgh show where you might want to make a broader point people will hang on to to hear the end of a story in a way they won't hang on for anything else so it's an extremely extremely powerful tool i think the reason uh, Irish comics like stories. I actually think this is a function of the numbers. I think because there are fewer people here, you're talking about one one tenth of the population of the UK. I think we a lot of the time we get pushed into the mainstream. If you know what I mean, you know, like if you if you, say if there's say there's two thousand co- comedians in England, I'm going to just pick England, right? With that, you know, you, you'll have room for ten people to be off the wall. Sam Simmons, Australian, um, um surreal comic sort of guy you know but you need 2,000 people to have those outliers I think when you might have when you only have a maybe 100 people say say for every 2,000 people you will get somebody who's a really surreal comic if you never get to 2,000 comics you'll never get the surreal person do you know what I mean yeah, yeah, yeah. So like Paul Curry's great from Belfast, and he's he's completely out there. But he's the first uh, I've seen in, in Ireland doing that sort of thing. In, in the same way, if I just pick the hundred comics around, say Bristol, you might not get one as well, you know. Mm-hmm. So some of it is a love of language, some of it is a love of storytelling, and some of it is dint of numbers. When you have a story like that, you know, like getting your car stuck and blocking access and everything, when you go like, oh, this is this is great, terrible for a normal human being, brilliant for a comic. Yeah. Do you ever find that it's difficult to find the end to that story? If you're like, here's the like, this is the thing I've encountered in the past. A thing will happen. Yeah. I can make the middle of it really funny, mm. but the end needs to be funnier than the middle. And I'm like, ah, yep. oh, Christ, what could happen? So yep. that you know, it's like that zoom in or zoom out. Like, yep. what would be the most like? Are you kind of, are you sort of getting kind of surgically into the guts of the story, going right? If we've established X Y Z, 
then the resolution has to be something that resolves those. Or yet, to like to artificially create an end to a story because the middle's great, but actually what happened was, oh, uh, well, you know, what I mean, we've all got stories where this crazy thing happened, oh, and then it all got sorted out, and yeah. actually it wasn't a very satisfying ending. Or the story ends earlier. That's one of the hardest things to do when you you write say say a six minute story we'll say right and you go oh the the audience always applauses at this line that happens after four minutes and you do it 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 and then eventually you say to yourself this is a four minute story this is this, this isn't <laughs> yeah, a six minute sure. story you have yeah. to I was once in a petrol station there was a big long story and there was a uh, the, the a couple of young lads who were who were um uh. uh <laughs> They, they got in front of a taxi driver, right? And uh, I think the two young lads, I, I know them from kind of around the way, and they, they've had their issues with addiction. And um, the, the taxi driver was really annoyed because it was, you know, you know, were, you know those, um, what do you call them? The screen in the petrol station, and you're chatting under the screen, and it's two o'clock in the morning, and mm-hmm. they, they were ordering apples, right? And it drove the taxi driver absolutely spare. And I was watching this whole thing, and the story lasted maybe about six minutes, but about four minutes, three or four minutes into the story, there's the, there's an amazing thing that one of the young lads said. The taxi driver shouted at the young lad and said, "It's absolutely ridiculous that you're buying an apple in the petrol station, right?" And holding everybody up, and the young lad looked at him and said, "Apples are petrol if you only have a horse." <laughs> right <laughs> and it was amazing and that used to come in at three minutes into the story or two-thirds of the way through or whatever and it just it just had to slightly just be moved you know and and yeah he's a couple of things happened after that i slightly forged the timing but it, it was such a delightful ready-made line that sometimes you're i think you're allowed to have yeah. some degree of poetic license um <laughs> I, a lot of the time when you're telling a story i think you know, like that beach story, for example. If there is, it, it there's a point at which if you if you go too far and you're you're clearly lying, genuinely lying, not exaggerating, not maybe changing a timeline, genuinely lying, the audience knows and they opt out. They'll opt, and you'll see them just opt out. So if you don't have a real resolution, you either end earlier or or you go from what happened to what could happen or and you tell them that you go so you tell them what you got stuck on a beach and that there's no resolution to it now there happened to be a resolution in this case but there's no resolution to it you go hold on imagine if i did what happened what would be if i yes, did I x y and z yes, so you yes, go yes. from real take it out of the reality of the plot into this the the spectrum of imagination and then you're allowed to do whatever you want because you've yeah. said it's imaginations yeah, yeah, yeah. That's great. This is really this is turning into quite the uh, the masterclass on storytelling. Well, Eddie just, just... Eddie Izzard said about um, when she was writing something and she wanted it to be surreal. Yeah. Um, she couldn't go to surreal straight away. She'd have to start in the real world. Yeah. So she'd say, um, uh, you know, like she wanted to talk about giraffes or something like this. She would start talking about giraffes uh, are about the supermarket and then suddenly giraffes will come into it i think that was a really interesting way of doing it yes ground it in reality first and then let it become surreal rather than starting with giraffes yeah 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 yeah, yeah. that's great i never did that deliberately but maybe that's just come into my head you know um what when you see other this is just another way of kind of hitting the idea of the story stuff to to, to wring all of the storytelling juice out of neil Delamere. <laughs> um what um 
when you see people who are not that great, comics who are not that great at storytelling, attempt it, what are they getting wrong? Um, what co- what common mistakes do you see in people who who could who have more to learn about storytelling? Let's say I don't know. I, I'm you're setting me up near as some sort of mar- mar- no, no. master storyteller, <laughs> so I wouldn't necessarily I wouldn't necessarily uh, criticize them. But if I I suppose if I watch a story that I am bored by, um, uh, like if you if sometimes I watch things. <laughs> so for example, that that story that I, that you're talking about at the beach in Dublin. That happened in Dublin, and that that loses a little bit when I tell it in the UK because they're not familiar with the characters. They're not yeah. familiar with that specific Irish accent or that specific Irish accent. So sometimes I think um, that maybe that that is a mistake. You know that if you're telling a story and inhabiting characters, remember that if you are telling the story to a different audience that doesn't know the characters, you might lose something there. You know. Now that usually works in one direction. Because we, as, as Maxwell said about the UK and Ireland, that the, the, it's like a valve that only goes one way. We get all your TV, we get all your radio, we get all your culture, essentially. Yes. You were not familiar. You had to retrofit those characters and guess. Whereas yes. I know what uh, an East End accent sounds like. I know what a Bristol accent sounds like. I know what a uh, Glaswegian accent. You know what I mean? So sometimes sure. you lose a little bit going one direction over the Irish Sea, I suppose. Um, yeah. What do people get ro- wrong telling stories? I think maybe they just... A, a story is great, but it still needs jokes. It still yeah. needs... The, you know the great thing about stories? It's, it is a place for visual imagery. And I never realised I loved visual imagery as much as I do until Eleanor Tiernan said to me, she goes, she's, I described something and... Um, I ha- and... and it gives me more pleasure nearly than anything else. And I have a favourite line in the current show, and Tim McGarry, who you've interviewed on this show, uh, yeah, lovely Tim. who's a lovely man who presents our show, he came up to me afterwards and he said, my favourite line in the whole show. So he's seen an hour and 20 minutes at the, the uh, SSE venue, and we both had the same favourite line. And it was... Uh, I, I, I don't know why he likes it as much as I do, but and it was just... it was. I'll tell you what the line was. The line... It was about, I got a massage from a woman who had the most muscular hands I've ever seen, right? And she was a, like a seriously strong, strong woman. And um, I just described her as she could play the piano through the lid. And <laughs> my gar- I, I love it. And I don't know why I love it. And it's such a ridiculous thing to say about one of your own jokes. Like, what a tool. But you yeah, have, yeah. you have favourite lines in your shows. Of course, and, yes. But McGarry had the same favourite line, which I think is... I think is that's so lovely. What, what I love about that line, she could have played the piano through the lid. It sounds like it's two hundred years old. Yeah, that line. Do you know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. I don't mean it sounds old. I mean yeah. it sounds timeless. Yeah, it like <laughs> oh, you know, it's almost like you like um you could see that crop up in some literature from hundreds of years ago. Yeah, or Groucho Marx or something. Yeah, there. yeah, 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 exactly. But I hope I've robbed it now. <laughs> no, 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 no. But it's like the idea. Like I love it. Like it doesn't make sense, but it does make sense. But it's like she would. Have needed to have smashed that like she's <laughs> yeah. fingers are so strong they'd have smashed the lid and it's the it's the kind of the the tension between the delicacy of playing a piano and having to smash through a lid every single note it's beautiful that's a lovely that's a lovely piece of writing but i think sometimes they people just don't use a story for all the things it can give you like a story is a framework so you can have character you can have like you say you can have a silly pun you can have sound effects you can have uh, physicality um physicality i think a lot of the time is underrated 
Dara O'Brien is much more physical than you think. People talk about Dara being a cerebral comic, and he really is. Watch him next time he's on a stage. He acts and mimes and uh, embodies things. Now, he doesn't do accents. He never has done accents. Uh, we used to joke about that. Uh, he, he can't do them, and anytime <laughs> he tries, they're awful. And so, so people sometimes think, oh, he, you know, he's a kind of straight-line merchant. But he's actually much more physical than you would you would give him credit for and um that's something that people don't necessarily use i always think you should use everything use everything in the service of your audience shall we say there is a thing that's happening with my comedy practice at the moment where i have let's let's practice saying this out loud i've kind of become a bit obsessed about the climate crisis and it's in my new show okay and i'm wondering whether it's something that I'm going to be talking about for the rest of my career or for the next five years. I'm trying not to be prescriptive about it, but I sort of feel like I can't be bothered telling jokes about anything else because I'm really feeling very um, uh, focused on this one particular topic. Because of that, I've started to feel like, just give me a different perspective on something. I'm like, what's the alternative, Stu? And is it just, I'm just aiming this at me. What's the alternative? Do I just keep thinking of a new thing do I just write my next show about some other stuff that's happened to me? <laughs> Do you yeah, know what I mean? It's yeah. sort of made me, it's given me this weird perspective on like, um, oh, is that my job now? Am I, how many more hours am I going to write in my life? And are they going to, if they're not going to be about the climate crisis, for example, if they're not going to be about thing, you, we, we might say thing that I feel passionately about, whether that's, you know, whatever anyone's particular drum is that they beat. Are they just going to be the latest lot of stuff that's happened in my life? And what do I do? Another 10 of those or 20 of those and then die? Do you know what I mean? <laughs> like, I've got, like, I'm just, yeah. it's one of those kind of midlife kind of moments of going, what is, Yeah. like, what am I saying? What's the point of this? Is it a case, to t- try and turn this into some sort of functional question, I'm wondering whether it's a case that you think, well, next year on tour or next time I go on tour, the stuff has to be different so that the people come back yeah. and so that I'm amusing myself and interested enough to talk about it because you can't flog the same thing forever some of us some people let's not say flog some people fine tool and refine the same thing for a long time that's fine hone bit of honing um but in terms of like i don't know quite what the question is like in terms of when when does this end (laughs) when does this end it's like the question when does this end when does this end you know like i know where where does it end for you where does are you planning are you sort of is there a part of you thinking well this is great because when i'm 90 i can do my little old man jokes if i want to no you know what i mean like i can yeah basically when does it end and it ends when you get bored and it ends when you start phoning it in. Audiences are unbelievably intuitive, and we should be extremely grateful for anybody who'll spend uh, whatever amount of money that they spend uh, and time in our company. Um, and when I started out doing stand-up, I I don't know about you, but after a couple of years, sometimes you you might be a little bit self-destructive, even on stage. You kind of get a little bit. Uh, I don't know if you get bored or you're finding your way or whatever. And sometimes you can take the audience for granted. I don't think we should ever do that. Um, so so. It's imperative that we don't get bored. Yeah, I know what you're asking, because you're asking, will I just keep doing the same stuff over and over again until this ends? Well, it depends. It depends on if you think every show is going to be your best show. If the next show is going to be your best show, that's a massive imperative. So I don't know about you, but do you look back? I look back at shows and I go, that 10 minutes was brilliant of that 2004 show. And that 10 minutes of that 2006 show was 
the best stuff I've ever written. If I could just write a full show that was consistent with the 10 minutes of those ones, do you know what I mean? And I think every single comic is like this. So until you get to that, where it, it's, it doesn't dip in quality from the start to the end. Now, I say dip in quality. Only you know that. You know, the audience doesn't know that. And the audience could maybe take a, what you would consider a dip to be respite from the barrage of jokes that you've given them. Um, but I do think you should probably have another thing going in the background. So, for example, um, yes, I'm going to write a show next year. And it's going to be hopefully similar to the shows I've written before. That's what the audience wants. It's what I want to do. But I also want to write another show that keeps another part of my brain ticking away. Uh, I'd like to write a show that's a heist show. I love heist films. I love oh, me too, I me love too. heist films. I love I, I knew you'd like heist films. I bet you like <laughs> I bet you like prison break films as well. It's I a, don't mind it. It's don't some, mind it. I like I tell you what I like. It's the I like planning plot. or something. I need I'm lots of plot. things to happen. Yeah. I want to open a load of loops and then I want all of those loops to be closed. Yes. Come on, heists and time travel. This That's is, why. This is, um, <laughs> I said to my wife, why do I like heist films? And she goes, I think it's something about the planning you like. And I was like, there's a lot of planning in a wedding. I, do, I, <laughs> I have no interest in a wedding film. But just, I, and, I, and I want to write a live show and I want to plot a show in that plot-driven way that we talk about uh, uh, heist, heist films. So I think you need to continually challenge yourself I mean, you're like in two or three years, you might find something else that engages with you in the same way that the climate engages with you now. Mm-hmm. You know, um, mm-hmm. Eleanor Tiernan, we were talking about something recently. Eleanor, great comedian, said to me that Brilliant. when she writes a joke, she tries to stay with the feeling that the joke engenders in her or the, or the feeling that the topic engenders in her, which I thought was a very interesting way of doing it. I, I've never considered it that way. Mm. And if mm. and if if climate change is the thing that is creating these feelings in you well then you know that uh, those feelings that that's generating surely they'll lead to kind of strong premises for jokes strong feelings within jokes passion within jokes that will transmit itself across in the show yes yes i think so that's that's what i'm finding so far let's talk about your podcast neil yeah why would you why would you tell me that yeah it's called why would you tell me that so it's with a guy called dave moore who presents a massive radio show here and um he basically it saved our marriages <laughs> because, <laughs> because but Wait, you buried the lead there you should open every episode by saying that yeah basically he and i don't converse like normal human beings he'll come up and go to me did you know that the fastest man-made object that was ever made was a cap on a uh on a mine shafted Arizona or something that was blown up in a nuclear explosion and I'll go tell me more rather than <laughs> take your medication and it's the same so basically we try and find the most interesting people we possibly can in the second half of the show and then we talk about kind of random trivia in the first half related to that so like we had a woman on who who was a professor of zoology and a professor of uh, genetics and bats don't get old was the premise and she fully was is, is trying to She's trying to map 1,400 genomes of, of all the bats in the world. They don't get old, and they book the trends of mammals generally. So mammal is, a rat is two, a rabbit lives to three, mice live to two or three. You know, they're all small. And usually the bigger the mammal, the older they live. Whereas okay. um, a bat can live to 40 or 50 or 60. Uh, so, and they don't get cancer. And yet they're repositories of diseases. And if they can figure out how they... they they replicate their cells and how they age um then basically that's the secret of uh youth 
it's the foundation of youth for us as well. She firmly believes this. And um, so we get people like that on in the second half, and you know, and we kind of talk around it uh, in the in the first half. So it's a it's a way to indulge our geeky interest in the world, and it could be anything. It can be that we had Susie Dent talking about word order, and uh, she was amazing. Like people. Oh, is that there? Is that like um, you you describe it as a a big red angry dragon? No, and it has to be in that order. Oh no no. So there's no order in English in that. There's order I think in German in that. that Dave was saying no. It's one of the ones like there's rules in English that we don't even know that we use that we use. So you always say zigzag, wishy washy, dilly dally. You never sure. say dally yeah, dilly, yeah, yeah. zag zig, um, washy uh, washy wishy. It's called Abla reduplication, and and she explained um, uh, the history of certain words. And we had uh, we had a woman on who was an anthropologist for for there's a, a group of people in China called the Mwasua who live in a matrilineal society. So you take your mother's surname. There's no institutionalized marriage traditionally. It's called walking marriages, and the power goes through the the female line, and and the health outcomes are much better for everybody involved. Ah, surprise, surprise, yeah, yeah, in a yeah. collaborative listening environment. So. Um, Scott, why would you tell me that? So, and it's not topical, so people can go back and listen to all the episodes. Yeah, it's what I've listened to. It, I've listened to it, and what I what I really like about it actually is like you really lean into riffing on the stuff. Whenever I'd be, whenever I'd be kind of, if I were to to attempt to do that podcast, I'd just get really absorbed in it, and I'd forget to riff. Yeah, do you know what I mean? I'd just yeah. be like, that's fascinating. It's like being yeah. on a panel game and trying to win. Yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> oh yeah, I've done. I'd that. just be like, tell me the stuff. Tell me, yeah. about, I want to learn about it. And I'd, yeah. at the end, I'd go. Oh yeah, I'm supposed to do jokes about all that, but you're yeah. very, you know what I mean. You've got that kind of um, that multi-attack, that machine gun quality. It's a really, really fun podcast. I really enjoyed That's that. That's good because I've certainly done what you said there. Like you know, you're a, like if a quiz, I did Mastermind, and like I'm not funny at Mastermind at all. I want to win Mastermind. <laughs> Have you ever missed a big break by a whisker? Uh, no, I don't think so. I mean, how do you know? You're not an actor. You've never been down to the last no, two for no, something. No, 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 no. I once, there was a, a guy called um, uh, Eugene O'Brien wrote a very good drama about my hometown. He's from my hometown. And in it was a character my age from my hometown. And I went to play that uh, as an audition. And I didn't get the part as, as essentially myself. So I, I don't think acting is necessarily the place for me. <laughs> What's your favourite line of another comic's? What's your favorite? What, what or what joke? Do you, here's another way of asking: What joke of someone else's do you find yourself thinking of every time you do a particular thing? Oh God! Um, Tommy Tiernan used to have a line about uh, this is just the first that topped into my head about perfect description, and he was talking about satin knickers on his wife, and he said he described them as looking like flat coke, <laughs> and I just thought that was beautiful. Oh my God! Yeah. Oh my God, that's another that's another level. Yeah. If you had if you had one quality which got you where you are today, besides your ability to be funny, what would it be? Um, I was fairly disciplined at the start. I think. Yeah, I was disciplined. It was I I got I got a shot at panel shows and I wrote my whole off. Yeah. I wrote for the, for the benefit of the listener. <laughs> that, <laughs> yeah. That's an Irish expression that may not immediately become clear. Yes. Yeah, you write to such an extent that your anus detaches from your body, and that demonstrates the commitment to the craft. If your rectum is on the floor and your fingertips are bleeding as you put the quill back into the ink pot, you have succeeded. How do you cope with failure? How do you cope with bad gigs? 
Um, Pitches that don't go anywhere. I do like the Millican rule. You know the Millican oh, rule? Oh, yeah, yeah, uh, yeah. The 11- yeah, well, we've had that. That was episode seven. <laughs> <laughs> 11, <yeah. laughs> What's the Delamere um, rule? The Delamere rule is um, folk memory is the Delamere rule. So um, nobody remembers anything, Stuart. Nobody remembers anything. And what's if you, if you die, God forbid, if you die in a couple of years... People only can remember three things to put beside your name, and they'll go comedian, podcaster, some something else. You know, um. So no matter, like you, you die, you die on television. Go and die on television. No one will remember it in six months. You know, and that's um, that's one of those things. Like I did that at uh, Strictly Come Dancing in Ireland. And it was absolutely great crack, I have to say. But before I did it, I said to my wife, do you think I should do this? And she goes, I think you'll actually enjoy this. I think you might be better at this than you think. And uh, even if it doesn't go well, um, just be nice. That's the only way you, you can lose on something like this is if you get annoyed or anything like that. And I said, well, I don't get annoyed generally. She goes, exactly. So I did it. And um, she goes, before I did it, she says to me, she goes, who won last year? I said, I don't know. She goes, can you name anybody in it from two years ago? And I said, no. That's the key. Nobody remembers anything. Last question, Neil. Are you happy? Yes. And it's uh, because I love stand-up, but also because I have balance. And that's really important. And you have to figure out what gives you the balance. And you, you particularly if you're traveling back and forth, say, to the UK, or, or, or traveling up and down the length of Ireland or the UK ask yourself is that gig worth not going for a run on the beach or playing with your dog and if it is go for it and if it's not don't balance is the key so that's neil he really sort of understands it from the inside doesn't he as well he might after such a long and illustrious career but a real pleasure chatting to neil one of those uh, one of those episodes where i just really get stuck into you can hear how much I'm enjoying going, oh, look, content, tricks, uh, explanations, technique, all of that kind of stuff. So um, lot, lots of chunky stuff there. I hope you enjoyed that. Next week, who have we got? I haven't made a decision yet, but I've got four cracking episodes for you in the can with Johnny Pelham, Lee Kyle, Jeff Shaw and Gianmarco Cerezi uh, and plenty more recordings happening as we speak. So uh, that's that. Now, I'm on holiday this week and I sort of thought about taking a week off. But um, is that bad form to clearly yawn whilst you're talking and sort of talk on an inwards breath you wouldn't catch well you catch every podcast doing that i suppose i'm probably late to the party on the inward breath yawning chat i was gonna say i don't have time to do a postamble, but i'll do you a short one um because then i'm going to take the boutros swimming um not that, that matters to you but i thought i'd run out of time and looking at it now i can i can cram in a shorty so uh thank you to everybody thanks to charlotte wakeley thanks to uh susie lewis thank you to producer nathan the music was by rob smout and the title if you remember that's almost a comcom quiz question get in touch at comcom pod on twitter if you can remember who came up with the title the comedian's comedian who told me in 2011-12 um that i should call this show the comedian's comedian podcast Tell me via uh, at ComComPod on Twitter 
and you can have a pound next time we see each other. If you're, if you're the first person, that's absolutely crucial. The first person to tell me on Twitter wins a pound next time we see each other. Now, that is a cash prize. Is that even legal? I'm going to have to talk to Acast. Right. Um, oh, and I tell you what you should look out for as well is I was I guested recently on Mike Fenton Stevens podcast Time Capsule. Um, you will know Mike Fenton Stevens if you have ever seen anything on British TV. He's been in literally everything for years and years and years, and it was a joy. So I'll I'll have him on ComCon before too long as well. Um, very excited about Edinburgh. I, I I'll be shouting out who I'm excited about in due course, but I'll post Amble at you on another matter in just a sec. But bye for now. So here's something that's nothing. <laughs> here's nothing worth talking about. What did I say? I said I was listening back to the, the Leicester preview of the award-winning show. Um, and uh, the, in the what did I say? I said something like I was I was getting there. I, I needed I was quite pleased with this as a little piece of silly improv. I invoked the fact that I'd forgotten what I was talking about. And rather than just wing it and flash past it, I was having so much fun and I trusted the audience so much that I uh, would just stand there for five seconds in silence and try and remember what the next thing was I was going to say. And then someone muttered something to their friend and I snapped at them something along the lines of don't talk amongst yourselves. And then something rather lovely tumbled out. I said, it's your own time I'm wasting. And I was quite proud of that. I'm going to back myself and say that is a, a nicely, it's tonally very Goldsmith, I think. And I, I came up with that on the spur of the moment. The point of this is not simply for me to crow about a thing I said once. God, my wife has to put up with enough of that. You did you say a funny thing? Yeah, tell me all about it. Well done, you. Yes, you're funny. Absolutely awful, poor woman. Um, but um, poor woman kind of takes away her agency, does it? <laughs> what I mean is, thank you, wonderful wife, for continuing to put up with me, even though we now know a lot of it is a condition. Um, come on, come on, stick to it. Uh, I was saying that because it is your time I'm wasting now. And the time that I work... Oh, my God, that was like a three-minute tangent to point out that I once described what I'm doing now in wasting your time in a funny way in the spur of the moment. You're all my wife now. Um, here's what I wanted to talk about. Do you, I mean, <laughs> with that build up, it could be literally anything, but it's just this. I want to do, me and my wife want to make certain small improvements to our house, things like painting a wall. And I've had to, God, every time one of these things happens, We've got a tall radiator. God, it's great. It's the best thing in the room. It's a tall radiator. It's just so classy. Um, but it's only got a 15 mil gap behind it. This will become less specific in a minute. And so you can't. It's too small for a mini roller. And you can get a long necked paintbrush for, is it called cutting in? Which may be a mean behind a radiator. But it's like little bits, little detail stuff. My point is not, hey, how should I do this DIY job? My point is... It's cost me 40 minutes of thinking time now at 2.30 p.m. on a Wednesday because I can't let it lie. I can't. What's the best way of doing this? I should take the radiator off its hinges. Let's Google that. I definitely shouldn't, having done a small amount of Googling and the rules are no electrics or plumbing. Um, I. What about, oh, you can tip it forwards. Then I'll Google you can tip a radiator forwards. Then I'll Google can you do that with a long one. But hang on, what's a long one called? Oh, it's called a vertical one. Can you tip a vertical? I mean, when ChatGPT comes to save us, hopefully this is the sort of thing you'd put into ChatGPT and it would look at it and it would say, ring Jack the plumber. I rang Jack the plumber and it's 80 quid to take the radiator off its 
hinges while I paint it and then while I paint the wall and then come back again and put it back on, which is fair. I mean, that's two call outs, isn't it? It's only going to take him two minutes. And it's definitely relying on the expertise of a professional rather than getting involved with water or electricity, which you must never do. If I remember, I will post on the ComCom Instagram, on my Instagram, at Stuart Goldsmith Comedy, uh, I will post the incredible picture of the phenomenally near miss I had when drilling through the external wall of my house to plug in some sort of outdoor festoon permanently. I drilled through, having measured it several times, tested it, paced it back and forward. I drilled through and the bit of the drill came to a stop, probably four mil from the end of the main water pipe. I can't believe I did that. So the rule is no electricity, no water. And more importantly, the the wider point that I'm trying to extract from this guff is um, is that if you even consider this is just ADHD hell, isn't it? If you well, not hell, purgatory. It's heaven. I've quite enjoyed myself. But my point is um, that even if like just the thought of, oh, I've noticed that uh, later on I'd like to do the sort some of the painting. And how will I resolve the radiator thing? Just led me down a 40 minute rabbit hole, none of which needed done. But then there is this I mean, it did need done at some point. So maybe it was all right in the end. Oh, God, this is a new low, isn't it? <laughs> the depressing thing is I've been listening to the Alan Partridge uh, Oast House podcast, supposed podcast. Series two is delicious it's so good i'm on the episode where he goes potholing and him and his new best mate are talking about their bucket lists god i nearly crashed the car it was so funny but uh that sheds all of this post amble whiffle in a horrible light a truly horrible light planning for your next trip Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And is all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com pack for free shipping and 365-day returns.